In this month's edition of Beef Monthly, we're going to cover the cattle facts outlook for the beef industry in headline news. We'll do an IBCA NCBA convention wrap up. In Ask Dr. Ron, we'll be responding to a producer question regarding uterine prolapses. In timely production tips, we'll be talking about management practices we need to consider as we approach the beginning of the grazing season and the upcoming breeding season. And we'll talk about some great producer education programs that are coming up in upcoming programs and events. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva who have graciously underwritten this program. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built and to build upon those foundations. To help you care for your land, to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it. To help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come. Corteva AgriScience. The Indiana Beef Cattle Association annual convention was held in Indianapolis on Saturday, January 25th. During the program, they had Jennifer Houston, NCBA president, talk about industry issues, Ben Bartlett talking about animal handling, Jason Lust talking about consumer issues, and Roger Hunsley giving the banquet keynote address. At the awards banquet, the IBCA leadership presented special recognition awards to Ron Manning of Macy and Rick Seahase of Logansport for the years of service to the industry. The 2019 Friend of the Industry Award went to Phil Reed of Fowler, Indiana. Well known among the beef community as a longtime advocate and supporter, Phil serves as the state coordinator for the Beef Quality Assurance Program. The 2019 Young Cattleman of the Year went to Jordan Eggersman of Brownstown. Jordan has worked hard to improve the quality of the herd through embryo transfer and artificial insemination and is continuously looking for ways to improve daily efficiencies. Tom Farr from Royal Center received the prestigious Outstanding Cattleman of the Year Award. Tom is a member of eight national beef cattle associations the Indiana Pork Board, a 4-H leader for 40 years, and a 2018 inductee into the Indiana Livestock Breeders Hall of Fame. The most esteemed and coveted award, the Robert C. Peterson Lifetime Achievement Award, went to Jim Galuli of Washington, Indiana. Jim was one of the founders of the IBCA when it was formed in 1973 through a merger of the Indiana Cattlemen's Association and the Indiana Livestock Feeders Association. Jim also served as one of the co-chairs of the very first Hoosier Beef Congress in 1987. We congratulate all of the award recipients and are proud to honor them for their work and commitment to the Indiana beef industry. 
Also during the recent IBCA convention, the IBCA membership elected officers for the 2020 to 2021 year. The new officers approved by the membership were President Neil Smith of Pendleton, President-elect Chad Lanham of Flora, Vice President Jill Duncan of Wingate, and Treasurer Andrew Stewart of Greensburg. Also serving on the Executive Committee with the Officers are Promotion Committee Chair Dr. Jenny Hodgins, Membership Chair Tim Schwab, and Immediate Past President Dr. Bruce Lamb. At the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention in San Antonio, Texas, held February 4 through 7, Tim Schwab, a native of Batesville, Indiana, was elected NCBA Region 1 Vice President. Tim is a recent past president of the Indiana Beef Cattle Association, and he is one of seven regional vice presidents. Tim will represent Region 1 on the NCBA Executive Committee and will serve on the policy divi- as a policy dir- division director. As NCBA Region 1 Vice President, he will coordinate regional membership activities by serving as Chair of the Regional Membership Committee, as well as coordinate regional activities and communications within the Northeast Region. Also at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention, Norm Voiles Jr., a 7th generation grain and livestock farmer from Martinsville, Indiana, was elected to serve as a Secretary Treasurer of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. The CBB controls the National Beef Checkoff Program to ensure that our checkoff dollars are working to benefit all beef producers. Norm is a past president of the Indiana Beef Cattle Association and currently serves on the IBCA Board of Directors. Joe Horseman from West Lafayette, Indiana, is a continuing member of the Federation Committee that oversees the Federation of Beef Council's checkoff dollars portion. And Donnie Lawson from Thorntown, Indiana, is a director on the NCBA Policy Committee. At the NCBA convention in San Antonio, Texas, Cattlefax Vice President of Industry Relations, Kevin Good, said that trade will play a significant role in beef and cattle markets in 2020. He said expectations are that higher protein production from beef, pork, and poultry will be offset by strong demand and increased exports. During the year ahead, U.S. beef production will be record large, reaching 27.7 billion pounds. However, good projected increases in beef exports and decreases in beef imports will result in per capita beef supplies of 58.4 pounds per person, an average increase of only about 0.4 pounds over last year. With strong demand for U.S. beef at home and rising demand overseas, the modest increases in supply will be more than offset by a growing consumer appetite for our product, he said. This growing demand, coupled with increased prices at the consumer level, will be supportive of cattle prices in 2020. Cattlefax projects fed steer prices to average $1.20 a pound, an increase of about $0.03 cents per pound over the previous year. Calf prices are also expected to move high, higher with 550-pound steers averaging $1.70 a pound, up over $0.06 cents a pound over 2019. Similarly, 750-pound feeder steers are expected to be about $0.06 cents higher than last year, averaging about $1.50 a pound. 
Although the market outlook appears to be positive for 2020, Cattlefax CEO Randy Block pointed out during his presentation that the U.S. beef industry needs to be vigilant and maintain a competitive posture. Block also said, there is strong demand for our product, but that's the result of our business paying attention to market signals and we've been producing a consistent, high-quality product that has gained a greater piece of the overall retail dollar. We need to protect that. This month's Ask Dr. Ron question comes from a former student that says that their calving season hasn't gone quite the way they would expect it. They say that they had one first calf heifer get up, eat, come back to her calf, and then prolapse overnight. A second first calf heifer was found in the back 40 with a dead calf on the ground and also prolapsed. They lost both cows and one of the calves. Neither calf was big, at least according to what they thought was big, and since these heifers were calving at about 22 to 23 months of age, the question was, could it be that these first calf heifers didn't know when to stop straining? Now to provide just a little bit more additional information on this story, last year they had bought a heifer from a guy, okay, and that heifer prolapsed. They decided to buy three more this year, okay, from that same individual, and two of the three have subsequently prolapsed. So the, the second question was, could this be a genetic thing? So to answer this question, we need to start with the fact that there are two distinct types of prolapses in cows that occur near the time of calving, vaginal prolapses and uterine prolapses. While both types require medical attention and correction, timing of occurrence, cause, and prognosis differ. So we're going to spend our time talking about the uterine prolapse, which is associated with this particular producer question. A uterine prolapse is usually seen immediately following or within a few hours of calving. The uterine prolapse is large, long, deep red in color, and the uterus is usually hanging down to the hocks when the cow is standing. A uterine prolapse is considered a medical emergency, and it can be life-threatening. If the affected cow is not treated quickly, she could go into shock or die from blood loss. You need to contact your veterinarian for assistance with this procedure immediately. Although uterine prolapses are not heritable, cows that have experienced a prolapse uterus have a higher probability of prolapse again during their lifetime because it weakens the ligaments and muscles surrounding the uterus. If the uterine prolapse is repaired properly, the cow may maintain a normal reproductive existence. However, a secondary infection of the replaced uterus may make the cow slow to rebreed or unable to breed back at all. Factors that predispose a cow to uterine prolapse included calving difficulty that causes excessive straining, which is probably the case in the situation in this particular case. Sometimes it can be uh, because of excessive traction applied to correct a dystocia, retained placentas, uterine autonomy, hypocalcemia, lack of exercise, and cows in poor body condition have all been incriminated in this situation. 
When providing traction to deliver a calf, apply steady pressure and pull during contractions. Pulling a calf too quickly can cause a vacuum that will drag the uterus out. Once the calf is delivered, get the cow up as soon as possible with a knee bump behind the shoulder. When a cow is standing, gravity helps to hold the uterus in place. In this month's special feature, we've got Dr. Brett Marsh. He's a state veterinarian with the Board of Animal Health. Brett, you know, you've had some disease outbreaks in the state before. You know, you've, you've fought TB. Let's talk a little bit about the role of Board of Animal Health, but also what we can do as a producer, okay, to support your efforts and make your job easier, but, but also benefit us as an industry. Well, one of the great things that the industry has done is premises registration. It was started in 2006, and the beef cattle industry in Indiana has really stepped up. We have over 65,000 premises registered in Indiana now as part of that program, and it's absolutely huge. For example, you mentioned the tuberculosis investigation. 90% of producers in southeast Indiana had their premises registered when we came, and that's really huge. The notion that you know where the cattle are before you ever start the investigation is really an important part of that whole effort. So being a part of that premises registration program, we're only the second state in the country to require it. Wisconsin's the other state, and again, over these last several years, beef producers have really stepped up. makes a world of difference in our investigation. I don't know what the beef numbers are, but it was something over 28,000 prim IDs for bovines. For bovines, right? that's absolutely and, right. And also that captures a, a bunch of our beef producers. A lot of beef producers and, are dairy industry. Well. And, you know, so when you went out on the investigation for the TB issue down in, in the southern part of the state, you know, back in time, you would actually literally have to travel the roads to see, okay, Absolutely. well, does this, oper does this farm have cattle, does this farm not have cattle, whatever. You knew within seconds, seconds. okay, of, of, the, of the disease outbreak, where the people were at, you could kind of set up the quarantine zones, okay? And from a producer perspective, from my perspective as a producer, you know, you being able to notify me, and hopefully I'm just on the outside of your circle, right? And I can still stay in commerce and all those things. Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, so from a liability perspective, okay, and that we, we hear that, you know, particularly as we take it into – uh, animal identification and trace back, right? You know, people talk about, well, I'm going to be more liable. Talk about that for a minute. Well, I think it's just as important to know that you're not liable, that you're not in the game. That's yeah. one of the important aspects of premises registration. When we draw circles, et cetera, it's important for producers to know that, well, I'm not directly impacted. Yeah. I'm not in the circle. The early notification is really huge. Just letting people know what's going on and what's in their environment <laughs> so they can make plans accordingly. We did this in high pathogenic avian influenza. We had producers in the poultry industry rerouted. They didn't go through that area, just on truck routes. Yeah. And, fees and technical service people, et cetera. So it's really a huge tool, and I really appreciate the, the industry stepping up to do that. We've had great support from the industry. The veterinary community extension has been a big part of that. Uh, exhibition cattle are part of that. And so with the thousands of premises to register, it really helps us when we get into the disease. Well, and the other part of this is that, you know, as cattle move across state lines, okay, breeding stock, whatever, you know, I think you mentioned a really high percentage of the cattle are now done electronically instead of by paper. 
So we've tied together the premises registration, the 840 electronic identification, and then the, the veterinary community can use that information to prepare electronic documentation to move cattle interstate. So in Indiana, when we closed out our 2019 figures, 93% of the cattle and swine that left Indiana last year were on electronic document. I mean, it's an all-time record. We used to deal with boxes and boxes of paper, and now it's electronic. It loads directly into our computer database, and back to traceability just makes a world of difference. So it's a great, great tool. It's come together. As a matter of fact, the USDA just announced this week they're going to offer free tags. So we're in the process of figuring out how to make sure that's equitably. And, uh, so these are the 840 tags. These are 840 okay. tags, so there are more of them coming. We've distributed over 2 million of them in Indiana, and so it's, it's really been a great tool. People have picked that up. Utilizing that identification on these operations is a big part of our traceability. And as quickly as these disease agents move, yeah. we need to know quickly. So USDA tests us. They'll give us a tag number. It's not associated with the Marsh Farm or the Lemonager Farm. It's just a tag. And they say, okay, we're going to start the clock. Let's see how long it takes you to find it. So they'll give us an 840 number. And our numbers last year are under six minutes. The wow. national average is over 20 hours. And so the ability of all our partners coming together has just advanced our traceability considerably. Well, Brett, you know, you've been a big part of the leadership of making all of this happen. Talk me just for a minute about, as we kind of wrap this up, Talk a little bit about preparedness, okay? We talk about foot and mouth disease as a potential. We talk about African swine fever coming in potentially. You know, how are we prepared to handle something like that? Well, the things we've just been talking about are great, great tools towards that end. And in addition to that, we're working closely with the swine industry on African swine fever. And I know this is a beef segment, but it's it's a protein source. It's all part of that market out there. Big impact globally, and we're trying desperately to keep it out of the country, working closely with the swine industry. A lot of meetings across our state are taking place right now. So we appreciate everyone stepping up and being part of that. An overall goal to protect and preserve our agricultural assets. Brett, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. In this month's management tips, start thinking about controlling lice. Please use a product that's designed for lice control as opposed to using only a partial dose of an anthelmintic that would be used for treating internal parasites. This can lead to uh, uh, resistance uh, for your internal parasite control later in, in the season. The second issue is calf processing. Make sure that you've got all your supplies, vaccines, uh, antibiotics, uh, and uh, calving equipment prepared and ready to go. The third thing is monitor body condition on your cows and adjust rations accordingly to maintain a body condition score 5 in mature cows and 5.5 to 6 in your replacement heifers and young cows. Also start thinking about preparing for the upcoming breeding season. Now is a great time to be thinking about scheduling a breeding soundness exam on your bulls. And if you happen to be buying bulls this year, start doing your homework to find out which bull best fits your operations goals and marketing strategy. Another consideration is cowherd vaccinations. Typically we like to think about vaccinating our cowherd at least 30 days prior to the beginning of the breeding season to minimize any negative effects on fertility uh, due to cytokines and maybe a slight fever. 
Another consideration is to frost seed legumes in late February and early March to improve pasture quality and forage availability this next growing season. Apply legumes based on pure live seed recommendations and consider obtaining high magnesium commercial minerals for your feeding program prior to grass turnout. In this special segment, I've asked Dr. Nick Minton to join us. Okay, Nick is a beef system specialist for Purdue University and also the coordinator of our bull test station. Nick, let's talk a little bit about the, the bull test, okay? You know, some of our producers, you know, have bought bulls there on a routine basis. We probably still have some producers that maybe don't understand quite what's going on at the bull test station. So let's talk a little bit about what's the value of to a producer buying bulls to come to you know the Indiana Beef Evaluation Program's bull test sale. Sure. So what it's really the bull test station is really designed is to identify cattle, uh, both from small and large herds in the state of Indiana as well as some neighboring states, uh, to identify the genetic merit of their herd. And so uh, we have two tests a year, uh, one during the summer and then one during the winter. And what that allows uh, these producers to do is to compare their bulls to a, a larger contemporary group. And so in addition to performance uh, and assessing these bulls on growth performance, we have them scanned for uh, carcass merit using ultrasound and then evaluate them for disposition as well as structural soundness um, on feet and legs. And then run them through a pretty strict breeding soundness exam uh, as well. And so the the bulls that are sold through the Indiana Beef Evaluation Program receive a, a freeze brand, and that, that brand is meant to identify integrity, uh, both from genetics and performance, uh, and that those bulls have been uh, tested in a very strict manner, and mm -hmm. that they, in terms of identifying, trying to eliminate problems, yeah. um, and so that it's a, a reliable product that's going to add uh, genetic merit to your to your herd. And so, so our commercial cow-calf producers could go to the bull test station, buy a bull that meets their breeding objectives in terms of what traits, what economically important traits might be important to them. In other words, maybe I need to increase my carcass value, sure. okay? or maybe I need to lighten up my birth weights, or maybe I need to add more milk to my cows, or whatever. We can probably find the bull in a bull test station sale, Right, that kind of meets my my criteria for my herd, and genetically improve it, yes. right, and have some confidence whenever I take that bull home that you know structurally it'll stay sound, okay, and obviously there it's not a hundred percent, right, right, but I think the I think your structural soundness committee and the reproductive soundness committees, you know, do an awful awful good job of making sure that that the bulls are right, all right. And looking into the future, that they will stay correct. Right, Do, doing the best job that we can up to that that yeah. point. Um, and yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, bulls can the bulls that are come through the test station can can meet several selection criteria: uh, performance, carcass merit. You know whether you're retaining ownership or selling freezer beef. That where folks put some. You're receiving uh, an economic incentive to have quality beef. Sure. Um, yeah, we can. Uh, bull, there's bulls there that meet calving use criteria. Bulls that can add performance in both yearling or weaning weight, uh, yearling weight, uh, and carcass, and yeah. carcass. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So you've got a sale coming up here in not too long. Yeah. Uh, 
we're halfway, uh, just this past week, we're halfway through the current uh, winter test. And so uh, we have about around 60 days left. And then uh, the sale will be April 16th. Um, the sale will start at 6 p.m. And it is held at the Springville Feeder Auction in Springville, Indiana. Um, but at, at any time during the course of a test, folks are welcome to visit the bull test station, um, view the bulls, and, and all the way up to the, the point of the sale. So I would encourage folks to, to come by and visit at any point in time. If they have any questions, um, they can look Google uh, the Indiana Beef Valuation Program. We have a website. Um, or reach out to Purdue Extension, yeah. and we'll, put, we'll find who you need to talk to, to to get your questions answered. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. In upcoming programs and events, the Indiana Forage Council Annual Meeting and Seminar is February 27th. That date's coming right up. This uh, program will be held at the William Daniel Turfgraph Research and Diagnostic Center on Cherry Lane in West Lafayette. RSVPs are due to Keith Johnson at purdue.edu no later than Monday, February 24th, to be able to participate. And you need to probably tell Keith that of any dietary restrictions. The annual meeting starts at 4.30. The meal and fellowship starts at 6. And the seminar starts at 7. Speakers are Rodney Hufford from Clinton County, who is going to talk about their intensive grazing rotation and incorporating annual and perennial forages that allow them to graze much longer into the winter and feed less hay. Dean Gangwer is also in the seminar from Carroll County. He's an Indiana master cattleman, and he will talk about their grain, cattle, freezer beef, hay, and grazing operations. Shelby Guess, a Ph.D. graduate student in the Purdue University Department of Agronomy and recipient of the first place in the Emerging Science Competition at the 2020 American Forage and Grassland Conference, will discuss her research about an experimental brown midrib sorghum sedan that does not produce prussic acid. In other events, the IBCA scholarship is now available on and online. The application deadline is March 31st. A total of $3,000, excuse me, a total of $6,000 will be awarded, and applicants must be a current resident of Indiana. The family must be an IBCA member. The student must be good standing as a high school senior or as a college student, and the, the application is due again at the end of March and it includes 4SA questions. Winners will be announced by June 30th. Something you might want to put on your calendar for this summer is the Indiana Grazing Schools where attendees will learn about soil fertility, water systems, fence systems, plant identification, grazing systems, animal health, and much more. The dates and locations of the program are June 5 and 6 in southern Indiana at DePauw, Indiana, June 12 and 13 in central Indiana at Rossville, Indiana. Another program worth putting on your calendar and attending is the Regional Stewardship and Stockmanship Program that will be hosted on September 11th and 12th in Danville, Indiana.
This presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.